Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much that, that you've allowed us to be here this morning. Father, I pray for those who are here this morning who would rather be somewhere else. I pray for those who are here who are thinking, what can I possibly get out of this? Father, I pray for them that you would speak to them the words they need to hear this morning. I pray for those of us who want to be here, Lord, that you would also speak to us and tell us what we need to hear. So as we open up your word, we pray that you would bless our minds and our hearts, that you would bless the word now. In your name we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever done something and you just felt guilty? How many of you? I remember when I was a little kid, first of all, I've spent most of my life in churches, right? My, father, my dad was a janitor and um, he was reminding me yesterday that from the age that I was two years old, he used to clean the church out in the Hawaiian Gardens, uh, El Dorado Park Community Church. So I would spend days at the church and then I would spend weekends at the church. So this is fitting that I would be, I think, a pastor. God always kind of put that in my, in my mind, in my subconscious. But I remember we grew up going to the Anaheim Spanish Church, so just about, I don't know, seven miles from here. And I was always a good kid, okay? <laughs> I never got in trouble. But one day, it was a, okay, and so going to a Hispanic church, if you ever went to, if you went to one, you would know that we would show up at like eight in the morning and we would leave at like 10 at night, right? Do you guys know that? We spent all day there in our church clothes. Sometimes we would go home to take a nap just so that we could get more energy to come back for the afternoon. So I remember I used to hang out with three of my friends. We were probably eight years old. And we remember um, we were trying to get into one of the classrooms. And one of the ways that our older brothers taught us, and by the way, my older brother's here today with his family, so I'm always excited when they're here. And my sister as well with her husband, but she comes all the time, so <laughs> love you too. <laughs> but one of the things our older brothers taught us to do is they would teach us how to open windows, right? And it was this way that if you had like a pen, you could stick it in the railing somehow. This is old technology. You could, you could like, I, I don't really, I, well, you'll see what I mean in a second, but you pop the thing and it opens up and you can slide it open, right? But when you're eight years old, it seems much simpler when you see someone else doing it. So when we decided, I said, hey, let's try this. We need to get into this room because I don't know what was in there. It was the Pathfinder room. So anyway, we go in there. We're going. We're doing it. We almost have it. And all of a sudden, the window just comes crashing down, breaks. So what do we do? We run. We're like, nobody's around. Nobody saw us do it. If anybody asks, we say we don't know. Of course, there's always one guy in your crew that always breaks down and tells that it was you or your group of friends who did it. Um, and I remember, and my parents were, I think, in like, they were in like the Vespers, and I just remember when, my, when our, they, you know, they called their parents out and they told them, and I just remember like crying and bawling, because, you know, we broke a window. When you're a little kid and you hear your parents always saying like, oh, the boots are always tight, which means there's not a lot of money, and you know they're gonna have to pay, and I didn't know how much windows cost back then, right? Um, and it's ironic because my parents were actually very gracious. They're, they're, they're old school Hispanic parents that were, you know, very tough on us, right? And it's good, and they were strict on us. But they were extremely gracious. 30 or 20 some years later, I still feel guilty for having broken that window. Because I was the guy that was jamming the pen in the rail to try to get it up. I was the guy who said, I know we can do this, I know we can do this, and the window broke. Guilt has a way of following us in our lives. And it pops up at times when we least expect it. 
There's times where I'm driving and I'm having a great day and I remember something I did and I just have this guilt that just sits on my shoulders, heavy, like a burden, like a weight. I think we often do that, though, with our spirituality, with our relationship with God. We know what the right things to do are and and we know what the wrong things that we should stay away from. And when we do those wrong things, those sinful things, how many of us, and you don't have to raise your hands because we're human, so I kind of know, but we feel guilty. We feel guilty and we feel like we, feel like we have to make up for it. If you've ever been married, um, if you've been in a relationship, if you've had parents, if you've done something that is bad, and not even like big, just like, I don't know, on accident, right? What do you do? You try to then live your life How? perfectly, right? You try to do everything better. You try to anticipate what your parents are going to ask you to do, so you try to do all those things before they ask you to, like rake the leaves or throw out the trash or, you know, clean the bathroom or whatever it is. And so what we do is human, it's human nature. We try to make up for the mistakes that we've made. But that's not all bad, right? Because husbands, if you do something bad and your wife's upset, you should try to make up for it. But I think what happens is we take that understanding and we apply it to our relationship with God. I think so often when we find ourselves sinning, whether it's a little sin or one of the bigger sins, it's almost like we try to live our lives so perfectly so that we can show God, God, I am really sorry. But that's guilt. That's what the devil places on us. If we look at Romans chapter 1, I mean, sorry, chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And you're going to say, why are we reading this for the third time in three weeks? It's because it's setting up the rest of the story. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says this. This is what we do with the guilt. There is there, there, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be sin offering and so to be condemned in sinful man. Now, that is very thick, heavy theological language. Some of you are saying, well, how does that, how do I practically use that in my life? How does that play out in my life? And it's very simple. Here's what we have. We have been set free. You have been released from having to keep all of the laws in the Old Testament in order to secure your salvation. You cannot earn your salvation. You cannot be good enough. Here's what's interesting. We we, we see the law, something as a mirror. The law simply shows us where we are falling short. When we look in a mirror, it shows us where we are sinning, where we have fallen short. And the Bible tells us that the, that, uh, the law of Christ is really the gospel. The gospel which Jesus dies for each and every one of us who have accepted him, right? When we have accepted him, we are now released from having to earn our own salvation. In a few moments, we're going to look and see that it doesn't release you from being good people from trying to live like Christ did. It doesn't release us from having to be moral. It doesn't release us from using the scripture to guide our lives and to, and to lead us forward. But what it does is it gives us new power. We're going to look here in just a few moments how it's the spirit of God that dwells in us. The spirit of God lives within each one of us, and it is the spirit of God that helps 
us to be able to fulfill what Scripture calls us to do. Because no matter how good you are, no matter how much of a good Christian you are or how long you've been a Christian, there's still sin that we each battle with. But what we're going to find out in a few moments is that even though that is true, A, God doesn't condemn us. God doesn't punish us to death. And B, it's the Spirit of God that helps us to overcome. And so the question we should ask is, why does Paul call the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the law of sin and death? That's kind of a negative thing to say, right? Especially to say about the Bible. But the reason he uses those words is because none of us could fully live up to it. And since we could not fully live up to the law, the Bible tells us that the consequence for not being perfect is what? Death. Sin and death. But what we will find out is that Jesus comes because he knows it's impossible for us to be perfect. Jesus comes to die for us because he knows that it was impossible for you to get rid of your own guilt. And so what we find in this is that the gospel frees us from having to be perfect, and that's actually really good news. Because I have a sense that if you ask people that are closest to you if you are perfect, what would they say? Huh? Does reading the Bible more make you more bet <laughs> make you more better? That's bad. <laughs> reading the Bible doesn't make you better. It makes you more informed. It makes you know more about what the Bible teaches. But does reading the Bible alone make you a better person? Does coming to church make you a better person? Some of you are like trying to like shake your head like No, Romans 8 tells us that what makes you holier what makes you better are none of those external things, but it is God who dwells in you through the Holy Spirit. Yes. That's good news. Because I know that when I've done things, when I do things that I know have fallen short of what God desires for me, I feel so guilty. I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to be perfect the rest of the day, which is impossible. But we don't have to feel guilty because we are no longer condemned. Verse 3, for what the law, the Old Testament law, was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature. So we're the sinful nature. The law, we couldn't keep the law, so it was weakened. What we couldn't do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man, so as a man, to be a what? What does the Bible say there? A sin offering. The fact that God lays his life down as a, as a sin offering means that you are now released from having to pay the final penalty of an eternal death. Here's what's powerful about that. If we are not in Christ, if you have not submitted or surrendered your life, if you have not accepted Christ, what the Bible tells us is that you will spend all eternity separated from the presence of God. That's an important thing to think about, and here's why. How many of us want to die? Uh, don't raise your hand. <laughs> How many of us like being alive? Most of us. So the harshest reality for us to think about is death. Separation from the people we love the most. But we know that if we are in Christ, we will be in the presence of God for all eternity. And if we will be in the presence of God for all eternity, we can't even begin to imagine what God has planned for us. I know we've often thought about that 
in heaven or in eternity, we're just going to sit around and eat fruit all day. That doesn't really sound like fun. I don't even like fruit that much. I hope they have pizza trees with no calories. That's heaven. <laughs> but you see, you will know that it doesn't matter where you spend your time, right? It doesn't matter what you're doing in life. What matters is who you're there with. So you could be sitting in traffic on the 91 freeway, and it can be going two miles per hour, but if you are with the right person in the car, it doesn't make it so bad. And so what we find is that Jesus pays the price. And verse 4 says this. Jesus comes as a sinful man, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in who? Us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. The just requirement of the law. The just requirement of the law is that you must follow it completely in order to be saved. But what we've discovered is that that's impossible for any human being to do it on his own. It's impossible because we have this sinful nature, what the, what the Bible calls flesh, that is keeping us back from trying to live the way God wants us to. And because God sees that it's impossible for us to do it, God sends his son Jesus to die, to pay the ultimate penalty, so that you now can live a life where you are not condemned to die the eternal death. Is that good news? So then verse 9, you, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. So you are not controlled by your sinful desires, but now you are controlled by the Spirit if Christ is in you. If Christ is in you, the Spirit is in you. If the Spirit of God is in you, then Christ is in you. And now look at this, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. We all know that from the moment we are born, we begin our slow descent to our final breath. From the moment we breathe our first breath, we slowly are already dying. So then there is a way to understand that there is a certain kind of living that even though our bodies are decaying, now when we're little, we don't realize that, right? But ask some of our older men in the congregation, right? I don't know, like Bob and Lou, right? <laughs> ask them, <laughs> ask them, does your body re regenerate, or not regenerate, but recover as quickly as it used to when you were 20? <laughs> it doesn't. So in this world, we are slowly experiencing the symptoms of death, of decay, of illness. There is unexpected circumstances in our lives that make us feel like we wish that we were dead. But even in the harshest and darkest of times, what Romans 8 is telling us is that even in those moments, the Spirit of God can give life to you. It makes your spirit alive. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, and I'm assuming that because you're here, you've, you, you're, even if you're wrestling with accepting Christ, you, you already have this, so. Because if you're wrestling, that means you know he's there and, he's, and he wants you. It's just a matter of time, just surrender. <laughs> if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, 
He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So you see, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are in life. It doesn't matter if you are ill. It doesn't matter if if you're having a bad day or a good day. The Spirit of God has a way of making your spirit alive. That's good news. Not only is he making us and giving us a fuller life, right? Remember Jesus says, I've come to give you life and have it more abundantly. He also forgives you of your worst sins. He doesn't condemn you, and he accepts you as having fulfilled the just requirement of the law. Without that, here's an illustration. Um, So, well, we all know... He's not, I don't think he's here today, so we'll have to text him. But Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah is a personal trainer. And so he's been kind of helping me lately. I know I don't really need it because I'm already awesome. <laughs> That's a joke. That's a joke. I just heard another pastor say that joke. I think. Anyway. So he's been helping me, right? So we have goals we're trying to meet. And he says, okay, and I'm a runner, you know, um, so I like to run. And he says, you have to stop running long distances because that's just going to make you skinny fat. Those are his words. He says, you need to start sprinting. He says, so this week, I want you to go and run one mile as fast as you can, right, around the track. That's pretty simple, right? I'm a runner. I feel like I can do it. So I get there, and I, it was like, I don't know what time. It was the evening, so it wasn't that hot. And I remember, I was like, okay, I warmed up, and I said, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to run this as fast as I can. And I was running as fast as I could around the track, and, you know, four times around the track is one mile, right? I got, like, halfway around before I gassed out. And I, was, I think I was running like as fast as I could, right? It took, I, I couldn't finish. I couldn't finish running that fast, so I modified it, right? I sprinted in sections. <laughs> Following the law is like trying to run at full speed every single day. You can't do it. So I would say that accepting Christ into your life is like driving in a car around the track. How many miles could you do if you're sitting in a car? You'd go forever. I know that's, until you run out of gas, okay. Thanks, Lou. No illustrations, perfect. But it's the idea that when the Spirit of God who dwells in you is truly in you, he gives you the power to fulfill. Now, John Stott, Um, old, old, not that old, but I mean, he's passed away now. But John Stott is really respected as a theologian. And this is what he writes. Let me see if I can find it, because I think I passed it. He says, having the Spirit in us helps us to understand Christian holiness. Holiness, he says, is the ultimate purpose of the incarnation, so of Jesus becoming human, and the atonement. The end God had in view was sending his Son not just not just for justification, so not just to make you right with God and forgive you, but through freedom from the condemnation of law, holiness consists in fulfilling the just requirement of the law. And so what he is saying is that, yes, we should follow the laws, but A, they're not for salvation, and B, you can't do it alone. Only the spirit that is within you can help you to fulfill a life that is more like Christ. So he says this, holiness, then, is Christ-likeness. 
To be more like Christ is the purpose of what Jesus comes. He comes to forgive us of our sins, to assure us and secure us our eternal life, but it's also to shape and to transform you to be more like Christ because God knows that if we can be more like Christ, more loving, more generous, more patient, more kind, more forgiving, then when people see that, they will be able to see that the God that we worship is truly a good God. The work of holiness is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the Bible is clear, and Paul repeats it time and time again, that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Is that like a crazy teaching? Do you feel like the Spirit of God is in you? One amen. Sometimes. And yet the Bible tells us that if we are in Christ, which I believe that you are all in Christ then the Spirit of God dwells in you, which is why the Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, when the old kings were trying to build temples for God, they they acknowledged that the temples that they were building were not a suitable, awesome, majestic place enough for the God that creates all things. And yet in the New Testament, we see Paul telling us that you're right, those temples, they could never house the eternal greatness of God. But where is the dwelling place of God in the New Testament? In us. Which is why I always say things like, God, we know that you are not more present here than anywhere else. Because according to the scripture, God is most present wherever you are. And wherever you are, the Holy Spirit is working in you and battling your sinful desires, your your selfish desires. The Spirit of God is fighting those things within you because God is trying to transform you and make you into the person he always dreamed for you to be, which is someone that was made in the image of God and someone that will be most like Christ. The thankfulness and the promise and the gospel is that when you fail, when your sinful desires beat out the spirit, which is crazy, but it happens, right? That God doesn't condemn you because that is what the death of Jesus on the cross means, that he doesn't condemn you for the sins that you have committed. So then we finish with this. Scripture, the Bible from beginning to end, has tons of things and it tells us how we should live our lives. It's a guide for how we should live our lives. But you can never for a moment think that the better you are, the more security you have in your salvation because you'll never be good enough. But what you can kind of just set your life on and anchor your life on is knowing that it's the Spirit of God who is working in you so that you can fulfill the law in an even better way so that you can be a better witness to who God is. Because that's, that's what this is life is all about. Life is not about how much you have in your bank account. It's not about who you get married to. It's not about, I don't know, what kind of car you drive or what kind of clothes you wear. Or, yeah, am I speaking to myself? Um, <laughs> um, it's not about any of these things. Life is about you giving honor and glory to God anywhere and everywhere you go. Life is not about you. It is about being a witness for God everywhere you are. And that's hard, I know, because we're worse to the people we love the most. I understand that. But perhaps the people we love the most can then help us to also come closer and closer to Christ by making Jesus the center and the foundation of every aspect of your life. I truly believe that if that happens, things would be better. I haven't experienced it, but I believe that that's what the Bible teaches us. 
if you make Jesus the center of every aspect of your life, he will bless and honor you always. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that, first of all, God, we're thankful that your grace makes it so that we don't have to be perfect. And we're thankful that in your grace, you've put your spirit in us to help us to be the people you created us to be. And so, Father, what we pray now for my friends, for my brothers and my sisters who are here, Lord, that that sinful nature, that, that, that flesh, that those sinful desires in our hearts, that you would just overpower those with your spirit at this moment now. Not only so that we could be witnesses to others, but that we could give honor and glory to you in all that we do. We thank you that your grace abounds. And as you continue the work of transforming us, Father, we pray that you would just continue to overpower our sinful desires. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Worshiping uh, Jesus that, that ought to be at the center and just kind of reminding ourselves. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but holy trust in Jesus name let's sing that again my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and 